Okay, we are live. I am so happy to be here with you right now. It's been quite a crazy few weeks. For those of you who have been following my saga, around a few days before New Year's, uh, my family started to get sick with coronavirus. Now, we took very seriously social distancing, mask wearing, the whole thing, but uh, we did put ourselves at slight risk because based upon the advice of our doctors and community leaders, we decided to send our kids to school. So of course, kids will be kids. And uh, eventually our kids brought it home from school. So um, started to get sick. Now, I I'm very, very healthy normally. Kanai Nahara. No pre-existing medical conditions. I do push-ups and sit-ups almost every day. Leg stretches. I eat healthy, uh, two meals a day. No snacks, no carbs, no sugar. I haven't eaten sugar in like 20 years. Um, of course, I could benefit from a little extra cardiovascular, but so can we all. Uh, this last summer, I went a 10-mile bike ride with my kids in the mountains. First time biking in over eight years. It was amazing. Okay, when I was a little kid, I had some sports asthma, um, but nothing really came of it. Didn't stop me from playing sports. Never had an inhaler. So I really wasn't nervous. I'll be honest with you. From the very beginning, I you know, understood, speaking to many doctors who I'm friends with, I'm Jewish, so many of my friends are doctors, that the goal was to slow the curve. And that at the end of the day, many people would get it, but most people of, you know, without pre-existing conditions of a younger age group would be fine. So I knew it might happen and I was okay. I wasn't so worried. I went through my family. My kids had very sl slight symptoms. My wife was in bed for a few days and I didn't really have anything. Some chills, light chills. I was doing great. And then suddenly around day five, six, I started getting a cough. It was not fun. And it got worse and worse, and I started having trouble breathing. My oxygen level dropped, and uh, then I was x-rayed and diagnosed with pneumonia. So I spent about six days in the hospital. And at the height of it, walking to the bathroom, which was about five feet away, would knock me out for about 10 minutes, coughing, catching my breath. So it was very intense. Um, I want you to know that I was never at risk of dying. I was never afraid of dying, but it was very traumatic for my family. Uh, so I want to start, I will share with you a few insights that I've gained through this whole experience, which I think will be very beneficial for you as well. Um, I want to first start, however, by thanking everyone who helped us through this challenging time. Most importantly, my wife for holding the family together, for doing everything while I was in the hospital, while she was scared out of her mind and never letting me know that she was worried. Unbelievable feat. She deserves a tremendous vacation, which she is going to get as soon as we're feeling a little 100% better. Uh, second, I wanna thank the community, our extended community, the Jewish community of Baltimore, our relatives and my friends all over the world who texted me, called me, dropped off food. I want you to know the prayers and the support literally lifted my spirits. Whenever anyone would call me, if it was a good friend, it, it felt so good. And even if it wasn't a good friend, nobody, nobody should ever hesitate to text someone who's not feeling well and just let them know that you're thinking about them. It really helps. And according to the Talmud, it actually takes away some of the sickness when someone visits you or, or sends you good words, good wishes and prayers. 
So I uh, also want to thank our rabbis and doctor friends for checking in on me multiple times throughout the day, going above and beyond. I want to thank the Beaker Cholim, an amazing organization in Baltimore, for sending over the most incredible Shabbos food when I was in the hospital. I also want to thank the staff at St. Joseph's who went above and beyond. They were really amazing people doing God's work, and I felt very blessed to have met all of them. <clears throat> right now, I'm feeling incredibly thankful to be alive. I'm very thankful to be Jewish. Um, I'm still feeling some of the effects of the steroids that I just finished taking today, so I'm a little bit high, which is also a lot of fun. And <clears throat> I want to share with you an idea based on the Torah portions that we're going through right now that is so relevant to this experience. So a few weeks ago, we started the second book of the Torah, the book of Exodus, which in Hebrew is called Shemos, which means names, the book of names. And according to the ancient tradition, the book is called the book of the Geula, the book of redemption, which is hence the Latin word Exodus. What's the connection between redemption and names? This is the book where the Jewish people go into slavery in Egypt, which is, takes up just a few pages. And then the redemption, the Exodus, the plagues, the giving of the Torah. It's a, an epic book, perhaps the greatest story ever told. So why is this book called Names? What's in a name, as Shakespeare said? And what is redemption? What is exile? What is slavery? So those of you who have spent time with me in the past know that the words in Hebrew have tremendous secret meanings. The word name in Hebrew, shame, actually means essence. And it's connected to the word neshama, which means soul, your spiritual essence. The idea of redemption is connection to your true self, connection to your source. And exile, slavery, is about disconnection from who you are. So in last week's Torah portion, Moses comes to the Jewish people and he says, God promised to take you out. We're leaving. We're getting out of slavery. And you know what the Torah says? Listen to this. The Jewish people did not hear him. They didn't hear. They, they couldn't hear the consolation that they were getting out of Egypt. Why? Says the Torah. The Jewish people couldn't hear him because of the shortness of breath and the hard labor. Moses says, we're getting out of slavery. They couldn't even hear the news because of the hard labor and the shortness of breath. And Rashi, the most famous medieval commentary on the Torah, tells us something very interesting, which we're going to understand in a very deep way in a second. They couldn't hear him because of the shortness of breath. Mekotzeruach says Rashi, Kol mishu Anybody who's in a place of suffering or constriction, Rucho v'nishmaso ketsara, his Spirit and his breath are short. And he's not able to draw down in his breath. He's not able to breathe properly. And I experienced problems breathing this past few weeks, and it was it was it was a crazy experience. And I want to share with you four incredible benefits to breathing true breath. And we're going to understand this Rashi on a Kabbalistic level in a few minutes. 
So anyone who's a place of constriction or suffering can't breathe properly. There's a very important distinction to make. What's the difference between pain and suffering? When I was in the hospital, I was experiencing some degree of pain. I was not experiencing suffering. And I'll tell you why. Because pain exists in the body. Suffering exists in the mind. Suffering is the thoughts and the anxiety and the judgments that we have about our experiences. Pain we can get through. Suffering takes it to a whole new level. When a person is in a place of constricted consciousness, it disrupts their ability to think properly. And I want to share with you some, some lessons about dealing with anxiety and stress and the secret of breath. So when we are in an experience of stress or anxiety, the body, the most primitive part of the brain, under interprets it as a physical threat. And this response is known as a sympathetic system, which initiates the fight. Your brain has trouble uh, doing analytical processes, and your breathing becomes shallow for sudden bursts of energy. It's fantastic. Challenges with a spouse or significant other, handling non-physical threats, traffic, your boss, or healing from disease. So how do we deactivate the sympathetic system? What's the trigger to reverse the process to begin to activate the parasympathetic system, which causes the body to relax? The answer is breath, deep breathing. If you think about it, imagine being in the jungle, being chased by a lion. You hide behind a tree, and the lion turns the corner and you see him go off into the distance. What's the first thing you do when you see him totally disappear? <sighs> you take a deep breath. That body, it's okay. It's time to relax. The coast is clear. So I want to share with you four benefits of breath. Benefit number one we just discussed. It relaxes the body. We live in a high degree of stress. People who suffer from trauma, people who have anxiety, their body is constantly on overdrive. Their digestion isn't working. Their brain isn't functioning. They're completely a wreck. It's not healthy. Calming down by learning to meditate or to breathe deeply for even a few minutes a day of deep breathing. And, and the classic most important point to know when you're deep breathing, breathe into your belly, through your nose, out through your mouth, and you always want to exhale double the amount of the inhalation. So you breathe in for five, hold it for five, and then exhale for 10. If you can do that, it is incredibly powerful to relax the body. Now, advantage number two to deep breathing is that it makes space to enable you to ground yourself and connect to yourself. The Torah tells us that there are breaks throughout the Torah between different verses and paragraphs to give Moshe time to contemplate and to integrate what he was learning. We all need windows and moments and oases of fresh air 
to contemplate and connect ourselves. The Mesilis Yesharim, famous book on Jewish, Jewish book on self-improvement written several hundred years ago in Italy by a Kabbalist named the Ramchal, points out that Paro, Pharaoh in Egypt, knew the secret to enslavement of the mind. And his secret was to increase the work of the Jewish people so they had no time to reflect, no time to contemplate, no time to meditate. In fact, they used to give strange work. They, instead of uh, doubling the amount of bricks, they, uh, instead of giving them, uh, uh, telling them to produce more bricks, they said more bricks without straw. Because now people ha had to be concentrating on how do we make bricks without straw? And it took away their ability to think clearly. They used to give men's jobs to women and women's jobs to men, again, in order to disrupt them. And society in general doesn't want us thinking about the big picture of what life is all about. We live in a free society. We're so lucky. But in communist Russia, thinking was forbidden. Because if you would think, if you would have freedom to contemplate, you would realize that you were a slave, that you were in the matrix, that you were an oppressive society. So repressive regimes master the art of you what that is because we're free no one tells us what to do but we're slaves here just as we were in egypt why ever have a moment to stop the noise and think we need to turn off our phones for a few minutes a day or try it for a whole 25 hours on Shabbos and focus on what's real. Meditation, silencing the background noise, is about focusing on the present. <clears throat> and that's really the secret of all meditation is to stop the silence in the mind. And the portal to doing that is breath because breath opens up a space within you. It allows you to have some silence, some contemplation, and it's also a focus. You can focus your thoughts directly on the breath coming in and out, on counting your breath, which allows your thoughts and the chatter of your mind and your body to calm and be silent. So that's advantage number two of breath. It enables you to connect to yourself. Now, advantage number three of breathing. The very last line of the book of Psalms, King David says, Kol haneshama tahalalka. Every soul should praise God. And the Talmud says an amazing thing. The Talmud says the word soul, neshama, is exactly and directly related to the word neshima, which means breath. Because the soul is a breath of life. It's a divine spark that God breathed into Adam, into human beings. Says the Talmud, don't read every soul should praise God, rather every breath should praise God. With every breath of your life, you should say thank you. It's an automatic process. We normally don't, aren't even aware that we're doing it, and yet without it, we wouldn't be here. We have to take the time to say thank you for our breath. One time, a great rabbi in Brooklyn, Rabbi Victor Miller, is in his 
late 80s or 90s at the time. His grandson came into the house to find him with his head submerged in a bowl of water in the kitchen. He didn't know what to do. What do I do? My grandfather has his head in a bowl of water. Suddenly, after a very uncomfortable minute, Victor Miller lifted his head out of the water and he started gasping for air. And he said, air, air, it's so delicious. Thank you. I'm so happy to be alive. Earlier that day, he had heard someone criticizing New York City. Gift of life. We have to be conscious of the gift of breath. It doesn't always come easily. When, it, when we have it, we take it for granted. We have to stop taking for granted the gifts that we have. That's why, according to Judaism, we make blessings every day to say thank you. Thank you for our bodies. Thank you for our clothing. When you come out of the bathroom, say thank you. Thank you for your food. Thank you for your legs. Thank you for your eyesight. We are so lucky to be alive. Not everybody wakes up every day. <clears throat> and the idea of spirituality is very much connected to the word for air, spirituality, spirit. In Hebrew, it's called ruchniut, ruach. It means wind, air, because it's the invisible life force that keeps us going. It's intangible air. It's invisible, and yet without it, we wouldn't be here. That's the power of the spirit, the power of the soul. To quote physicist David Bohm, the field of the finite is all we can see, hear, touch, remember, and describe. This field is basically that which is manifest or tangible. The essential quality of the infinite, by contrast, is its subtlety, its intangibility. This quality is conveyed in the word spirit, whose root meaning is wind or breath. This suggests an invisible but pervasive energy to which the manifest world of the finite responds. This energy or spirit infuses all living things, and without it, any organism must fall apart into its constituent elements. That which is truly alive in living systems is the energy of the power of breath. The word for breath, as we mentioned, Neshima is connected to the word for neshama, soul. According to Kabbalah, there are five levels of soul, three of which exist within our body. The first is the nefesh, which is the life force. It exists in the blood. The second is called ruach. It's our emotional soul that exists in the heart. And the third is the neshama, which is our intellectual capacities, which exists in the mind. Breathing makes space for the neshama to come in. Through the process of relaxing the body, of meditating, of contemplating, expanding the mind, of being conscious of our incredible life force that is breathing us. Now let's look back at Rashi. Rashi tells us in the Torah, Moshe tells the Jewish people, you'll be coming out of Egypt. But they couldn't hear him because of the shortness of breath and hard labor. And Rashi says, Anyone who is in Metsar, anyone who's in a place of constriction or suffering, and the word Metsar is related to the word Mitzrayim, Egypt. Egypt is a place of constriction, spiritual constriction, disconnection from self, disconnection from source. Anyone who's in a place of constriction, Rucho Vinishmaso Ketsaro, his spirit, his Ruach, his emotional soul, Vinishmaso 
and his intellectual soul are katsara, are constricted, are cut off. And he's not able to draw down his soul into his body. That's why this book is called the Book of Shemos, the Book of Names, because it's all about essence. It's all about connection to who we really are. Breaking out of slavery to connect to who, to our true selves, to connect to what life is all about. True redemption is a state of inner consciousness, connection to our essence. The Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the great Hasidic movement, says that exile and redemption is really a state of mind. At any moment, we can take the time to disconnect from the world and connect to ourselves, connect to true relationships, connect to the present moment, connect to God. We just learned four incredible benefits of breath. When a person's in stress, their breathing becomes constricted. Breathing deeply calms the body. It opens up the mind, makes space to contemplate, meditate, get clarity on who you are and why you're here. Breathing gives the opportunity to be thankful for every moment of this incredible life that we have. And it also enables you to draw down your neshama and your ruach, your emotional and your intellectual soul into your body. Many people are talking about that they can't wait for 2021 now that it's finally over, a new regime. Go back to normal. We don't want to be normal. We don't want life to go back to the way it was. We want life to be greater and better. We want to learn to utilize the experience of the coronavirus of the year 2020 to become better people. How can I how we can learn from this year to make sure that 2021 isn't only better for the world, but it's better for each and every one of us. As individuals. And I want to end with the following point. We have to take coronavirus seriously. It's no hoax. It's real. But we also have to take our mental health seriously and our spiritual health seriously. Anxiety is probably a greater killer than coronavirus. And we have to learn to deal with our anxiety. We have to be responsible and safe. But we have to stay calm by learning to utilize. race is to learn to be more patient, loving, compassionate with each other. And I want to plead with you to turn off the media, turn off the phone. Of course, we need to be stay informed, but the more time you spend watching the news, the more anxious and negative your life becomes. Because I want to tell you that beautiful things don't sell. The brain, the human brain is hardwired for negativity. It has a strong impact on us. We remember it, and that's biologically very important. But the what sells because of that is trauma, anger, anxiety, hatred, negativity. That's what is being bred in the media. 
We have to be in charge. We can't let our phones own us. We have to choose what we let in and we have to temper it. Truly happy people spend most of their time focused on things that are within their locus of influence. They focus on their immediate environment, people that they can make a difference in the lives of, their own self-control. The more you watch things that are out of your control, the more it overwhelms you with anxiety and feelings of helplessness. We all have to focus on real life, taking the time to connect to what's real and what's true to ourselves, to our family, to God and spirituality. And for those of you somebody else that you can give to somebody else that you can help there's always somebody in a worse situation someone we can call to cheer up someone we can volunteer for in a safe way something we can do look around the world look around your immediate environment and think how can I make someone else's life better thank you so much for listening I'm so happy to be back and on the mend and I look forward to to sharing many, many more insights with you. And I look forward to hearing from you and hopefully seeing you. Beautiful shop.